Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me for today. I've got a little bit of a unique interview for you. We're going to be turning the tables. I'm joined by my good friend, Massimo Bacchus. And Massimo is an executive and leadership coach up in the Seattle area. He's a good friend of mine and recently read my new book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, and asked if he could come on and actually interview me about the book, which just came out on November 16th and is available on Amazon. Massimo, take it away, man. Awesome. Andy, it's great to be here, and I'm really excited to talk to you about the book. I told you originally, I was said, I'm going to read it, but I'm going to give you an honest review. So this wasn't going to be any softball questions about it. Oh, man, now I'm nervous. Okay, I'm in the hot seat. Yeah, luckily, I thought it was incredible. And knowing you and being friends, the book sounds like you. And for anybody who hasn't had the chance to meet you or get to know you, reading this really gives you, I think, like a view into to how you see the world and how you see this concept of owning your career and owning your life. So I loved it. it, it it's got a lot of great stories, great resources, great references to, to other incredible thought leaders. And mostly I just found it to be really generous, which is, I think, in line with how you are and all the work that you do. But you just kind of laid it out there and shared your wisdom and perspective on things. So I'm curious about how this came to pass. Can I stop you real quick? Sorry, before we get into questions for me, first of all, thank you so much for reading it and for your support and for those kind words. I'm curious, and maybe other people are curious, when you say it's generous, can you elaborate more on what that means? Because I mean, any book, they're giving you information, right? For whatever price you paid for it, $15, $20. What made you say that word? couple things. One, you reference friends and colleagues of yours in generous support of their work. So this book is not, these are all Andy's ideas and Andy's the best. Right. Oh no. Yeah. This book really is a practice of what you preach, which is about network and community and relationships and learning and curiosity and generosity. And so throughout there are references to, I think people that are probably luminaries and mentors of yours, people that are closer friends of yours, like Christine and Hal. And, but the reality is 
you didn't need to go as far as to reference them. Even uh, Travis Dermott was, you know, mentioned. Yeah. You mentioned people that are in your community that are real friends of yours. And you do so in a way that's generous to say, hey, I want to I want to support what this person's contributed to, to you as the author. So that's that's one thing. The other is there was a vulnerability in sharing your story. And I felt like you were generous in saying, I'm going to share everything I can on this topic without pulling any punches. So those are the, the two things. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. And I and that was definitely intentional on my part uh, because there have been so many people and books and groups and communities and resources that have been part of my journey that have helped make me, quote, successful or who I am today. And I wanted to you know give credit to those people. I also like recommending other books. There's a lot of book references in my book. One person gave me feedback that, you know, hey, I was taking notes on all these books. I wish I knew that you had a bibliography at the end, which I do put them all at the end too, to say, here's all the books that I recommended. And I want to give credit to other people because, you know, for instance, you mentioned Christine DiDonato, who's a friend of mine. She just came out with a book called Get There Faster. Uh, It's a fantastic book on career development, and it's very different from mine. And if you're an early career professional that is trying to you know, find direction and, and own your career. I think you should read both. It's not just about me and my book and my perspective. I, I think, um, you know, all of these are valid. So I'm, I'm glad that you called that out. Um, and then I think the other thing about the, the vulnerability in the story, I definitely wanted to make it mine and, and share some of the story. I also think it's important, you know, it's sometimes we think that when we figure something out, we want to give advice to people that you know, some of these gurus tend to act like they've always had it all figured out. And we, we often get intimidated by that, right? And we're like, oh, well, it's easy for them because they have it figured out. So I, I'm very honest in the book and in interviews I do about it that I've gone through many of my own struggles. I was drifting through most of my 20s. I had no idea what I was doing or where I was going, right? I've made all these mistakes. And here's all the work that I did to take more ownership of my own career and my own life. And here's what you can do too. Uh, so it's not just like, hey, I was born amazing and here's here's how you can be too. It was, here's all the work that I've done and here's the work that you can do as well. So I appreciate you calling that out. There's this theme of having a plan, but holding it loosely because things change. And as I read more and more and learned more about your story, it almost seemed like it was a mantra for you. And I'm curious, is that true? Am I, am I making that up? Yeah, I think, you know, in, in the book and the talks I give, I, I'm, I'm big on having the right mindset and being willing to pivot and, and realizing that, you know, we're all on a journey and challenges are going to come up, things are going to change. I mean, look at where we are right now. We're recording this in November 2020. We're, you know, eight months into a global pandemic that has caused a lot of people to lose their jobs. Uh, industries have changed. Jobs have changed, you know, crazy elections going on, all kinds of stuff. And, there's no guarantees of anything in the future. So I think it's important to set a course and set big goals and also be ready for changes to come, for challenges to come and be willing to pivot. And when you adopt a growth mindset uh, from the book Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck, which is one I reference in the book, it's come up on the podcast many times. I think that once you adopt that growth mindset, you realize that when things don't go your way, that's okay because it's a learning opportunity and you can always pivot and move on. And so I want, you know, the other part of that too, is I want people to recognize if, if you're someone that's just kind of like, all right, I'm starting to take ownership now. I've made all these mistakes in the past. It's not about feeling guilty for the past. It's about taking ownership now and even almost being grateful for the past that, hey, anything that's happened along my career, along my journey contributed to where I am today. 
And where I am today is absolutely perfect, right? It is where wherever you are today in your career and your life is the perfect place where you need to be. You don't need to be anywhere else. And that's where you start. And, you know, you move forward in the direction that you want to go in, realizing that, hey, you know, stuff's going to come up. We're going to need to pivot. We're going to need to change. And, uh, and sometimes you just got to go with it. So from where you sit now, like that's how you live your life. That's your orientation. But you also talk about being a hyperachiever and you went to get an MBA and you had high ambitions for, you know, running big companies. That's not the mindset necessarily of somebody who says, I am right where I need to be today when you're, when you're so focused on the big mm-hmm. dream for tomorrow. Yeah. So how did you develop this, this growth mindset or this mental shift that allowed you to stay in the present? Yeah, it's a lot of learning and practice. I mean, I, I was frustrated for much of my time in my 20s where I either wanted to move up and I had that goal of being CEO one day and I felt like I wasn't really making progress towards that because I was in jobs that just didn't really fit my strengths. And and quite frankly, I didn't really fit the corporate mold and there's, there's no good or bad. I'm glad I discovered entrepreneurship and went out on my own because that is what suits me and fits me. I'm so thankful for that. And even all the mistakes and jobs that I didn't do well on the way that got me here. For other people, it's different, right? So part of it is, you know, discover your strengths, what you're good at, what you enjoy, think about where you want to go, be grateful for, for the journey. But there's a balance, I think, between, and I've talked about this in the past on my on my other show, the balance between ambition and mindfulness. So or stoicism of like being grateful and happy for where you are and you know, present in the moment, like you said. And also being really ambitious and wanting to achieve big things. And, and both are great. I think the problem that or what causes problems for people and what has for me in the past is when you start to tie your happiness to the achievement of goals. And then when you don't achieve those goals, then you end up unhappy, depressed, stressed, anxious, whatever, because like, oh, I set my goal to do this. I see my colleagues achieving these things. My colleagues got these promotions and I'm not moving up in the ranks, what's going on. And then you're unhappy instead of saying, okay, well, what can I learn from this with the growth mindset, which is something that, you know, I read that book mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck probably in 2016 or 2017. And then it's been a lot of like reflection and thought process and practice since then, as we have to do with everything to really adopt that type of mindset. So adopting that, then realizing that, oh, if things are not going the way I want them to go, then there's probably something I can learn from this or something that I can tweak. So, you know, maybe you have ambitions to get promoted and move up in the role that you're in, but it's not happening. So what can you learn from that? There could be a, there could be a lot of different things going on. It could be that you are, you're just not meeting the expectations that you know, they have out for you. And you can find out more from your manager of like, Hey, what else could I be doing? Right. To, to move up. It could be that the company or the manager is not recognizing what you're doing in a good way. And so if that's the case, can you either speak up more about some of your accomplishments and and build more of your brand and reputation? Or do you need to go somewhere else? Because quite frankly, the company is just, it's not good. They're not recognizing it, right? Or the whole other thing that could be going on is like, maybe this is not where you need to be, right? Maybe this doesn't fit your strengths or the things that you're good at. And it's time to move on. And I've been in so many of those roles where I was not moving up. And part of the problem was that I had managers that didn't really, they weren't flexible in in understanding my strengths and maybe letting me shift. And I, I think I talk about that. But the other problem was I was just in the wrong place. It was not, it was not the place for me. And it's unfortunate, but that's where I was. And that was part of my journey. And I had to continue to leave some jobs to find the next one and find the next one 
to get to where I am today. And I'm, you know, I'm grateful for all of that. And so then it's easy to look at other people that have had this, you know, ostensibly great career, but it's all still, you know, it's still a series of steps and challenges and successes. And some people find the roles that fit their strengths earlier than others. And, and that's okay because it's not a race. I find with the, the people that are looking for the definition within the organization, the organization doesn't give it to them, that there's frustration in that. And it becomes a narrative of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. And what I'm hearing you say is that that is one choice of story, but there are other stories which could be everything that you just mentioned. And that that was a freeing thing for you when you realized that not being right for a role did not define your self-worth, but it created value in a perspective. Yeah. I mean, it, there's, it's two different ways to go when you fail at something, right? Quote, fail, whatever you want to call it. Make, you, things don't go your, as you, you'd like. Do you let that define you or does that define the situation? And then you can learn from that. You know, I didn't really move up. I was not very good as a product analyst at a large insurance company, right? Does that make me a failure or was it just not a right fit? And, and I needed to go do something else, right? I had other times when I wanted to be promoted and it didn't work out. A lot of times it was because I wasn't very detail oriented, which is something I learned about myself over time, right? Does that make me a failure or is that just that that situation didn't work? I need to go try something else. And now I'm doing something that I love that fits my strengths and I can start to outsource and delegate the things that I don't want to do, those detail-oriented tasks. And I feel a lot more successful as a result. But what you're talking about is really important because People try things and quote, fail, it doesn't go their way. And they let that define them and start to feel like a failure. But you absolutely should not let that happen, right? It should be more about, and I write about in the book, the three questions to ask, right? If things don't go your way, what's great about this? What does this make possible? And what can I learn from this? So even if you get laid off, and I know a lot of people like you probably do, Massimo, who have been laid off during COVID. I mean, I've, it, for a while, I felt like every week someone would message me on LinkedIn and say, hey, I just lost my job. And I'm so sorry to hear that. I always try to help people reframe that to, you know, from this is a terrible thing. And especially from this defines you as a failure because it doesn't. The company made that decision because of financials and strategy and all kinds of things. They're not judging you as a person. They're just saying for this situation at this time, we, we don't want to pay for this job anymore, right? So you're, you've got to go do something else. And the other thing is it creates an amazing opportunity for you to go find something else because there's a, there's a good chance there's something about that job you didn't like anyway. And this is a new, this is an opportunity to go. It's, it's going to be hard, you know, while you're looking for a few months and finances could be tough, but this could be an amazing opportunity to find and start a whole new career. And I love to turn those challenges into opportunities. It's just so much more fun. Yeah. There's a, a particular line in the book that like stood out to me and I, I just loved it. You said, waiting for others to tell me what to do is risky and unfulfilling. Waiting for others to tell me what to do is risky and unfulfilling. Yeah. We do so much of that in our lives, right? We wait for other people to tell us what to do. We, we did it as kids. Most of us got into, you know, chose our majors in college and our first job because our parents or someone else said, oh, you should go do this. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, right? That's how a lot of us grew up. But the problem is that a lot of people are, are sitting around waiting for someone to tell them what to do. And when you're waiting for someone else to do, you're telling you what to do, you're giving that power to somebody else. You're not owning your life. You don't have the power. You're giving it to someone else. You're allowing someone else to control your life. And, you know, there's a, there's a saying, oh, there's a couple I'm trying to think of, like, if you don't run the day, the day will run you. You know, if you don't plan your career, then someone else will, 
right? And so then you don't have that that power, that control. And there are some situations that are outside of your control, right? You can't just go into the, the boss's office and say, here's my next role, like, give me a promotion. I'm going doing this, right? But you can take the initiative and have that conversation and ask what it would take. You can take the initiative and set some goals and decide where you might want to go with your career. You can take the initiative and start to build your network and reach out to people who are doing the thing that you want to do. You can take the initiative and start you know, posting an article on LinkedIn every now and then and building a little bit of your thought leadership and making some connections and you know, just owning it, right? Even if it doesn't work out, at least you took the initiative and you, you, know, you were being intentional about what you want to do and you weren't waiting for someone else. Because if you're waiting for other people, there's a good chance that you're setting yourself up for disappointment, right? That's just yeah. the nature of it. Or being let go, which I think is what happens to a lot of folks and they're blindsided by it. I can tell you a theme with a majority of the executives and leaders that I work with has to do with the fact that they have been following a prescribed definition of success. Get to this level, the next level of success is now I got to get to be a VP or, and then if I don't get it, therefore I'm not successful anymore. But when you actually scratch the surface of that and you say like, well, how do you define success? Well, it's, it's what my company tells me is successful, which is the next level. And once that's taken away from them, they're, they're, they're lost, you know, the drift in their career. And I think what you talk about constantly throughout this book is getting clear on, on what that definition of success is. It may be the next promotion in your company and it might not be. But either way, you get to be a choice as opposed to just an aimless recipient of, you know, what the corporate culture organization is offering. Yeah, so true. And I think a lot of people don't realize this or think about it, but the definition of success is deeply personal. It is up to you what success is. No one else can define success for you, right? And so for some people, success is moving up and getting the the best title possible, being CEO one day, making a lot of money, driving nice cars, having a big house, you know, sending your kids to the best colleges. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. That is success for some people. For other people, success is being home for dinner with their family every single night and having a job that's that's pretty fulfilling and allows them, you know, to, to spend time with their family and be at their kids every baseball game, right? And those two things, by the way, I talk about that in the book a little bit, they could be, there are plenty of exceptions, but they could be diametrically opposed, right? Because you, Masma, you work with a lot of executives. To be an executive, a C-suite executive or senior VP in a big company often requires a lot of hours. I've met a lot of those people that are working 70, 80 hours a week. And by definition, you're not going to be with your family all the time. And if you're, on, if you're okay with that, like that's totally fine. Again, no judgment, nothing wrong with that. But if that's your definition of success and then you're missing out on family and that's making you miserable you got to be honest about what success is for you and what sacrifices are you willing to make to get there. So for me, I've totally adjusted my definition of success throughout my career to, you know, one aspiring to be that executive, to wanting to just be happy and fulfilled in my life, make an impact and be there with my family all the time. And I have created a life that that you know, does that. And I, maybe I don't make as much money as I could doing other things. I don't maybe have the, I never got the titles that other people wanted. And again, nothing wrong with any of those things. But for me, success is living life with happiness and no regrets, basically. And I feel like I'm living that way. And I want other people to live out their own version of success. And the other thing worth mentioning there too, is we, we touched briefly on comparison. And I have a chapter on that as well, is that we often 
let other people influence our goals and our our idea of success, which, you know, we're always influenced by outside sources, by our peers, colleagues, friends, family. It's always going to be true. That's never going to stop. The problem is when we we set our goals based on others, right? We see that, you know, some friend is moving up and got this nicer car. So I want to do that too, right? Or, you know, so-and-so has set a goal to run a marathon. So I'm going to go do that too, which is cool. Like go, go give it a shot, but see if it like, take a minute and just get in touch with yourself and think, is this in line with my vision for my career, with my purpose, with what I want to do? And if it's not, am I okay with letting that go? right? Like, yeah, I'd like to move up and get the promotion and the title like other people, but I see that they're working 60 hours a week and I'd really rather work 40 and be home with my family. Maybe I need to be okay with that, right? And just realize we're all on our own journeys. There's trade-offs always. I see two other kind of situations like that. One is I don't like this person and I know they're going to get promoted. So I have to get promoted. Right. (laughs) Out of spite, right? Right. If they get promoted that, you know, and I'm better than them, then that means I'm, I'm not worthy. And then the other is, well, actually I lost what the second one is, but it'll, it'll come back. It's probably related to that. Right. And and what that always makes me think of, and some this, this takes a lot of deep self-awareness. I've done a lot of it is thinking about what decisions are you making that are driven by your ego and what are truly driven by your heart and your logic. Right. And that decision of, I need to go get promoted just because this other person is getting it that I don't like. That's an ego driven decision. And in the end, it doesn't really serve you that well. And even if you want to go for it, that's fine too. I just want people to be honest about what they're doing and where they're going. Yeah. I remember what it was, Andy. The idea that you are so focused on getting promoted, you get there and then what? You have more money, sure, more responsibility, you're working longer hours, but all of those other values and priorities in your life, are they improved as a result of this? And they they may be. They might be. Yeah. Or they might not. But then what, right? You 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 set the goal. People you tie so much fulfillment and happiness to achieving that goal, and then you get there and then you don't know what to do. For you, when you decided to really take ownership, step into being an entrepreneur fully, be really innovative and create new things, what were the concessions that you had to take? What were the what humble pie did you have to eat along the way to really step into owning your life that's fulfilling in the way it is today? That's an interesting question. I think one is letting go of, and I still deal with the comparison issues like everybody else, but one is kind of letting go of like, I'm not going to follow other people's paths. I'm going to, I'm going to do my own. Another one is being willing to fail because if I want to try big things like launching podcasts, hosting a conference, launching a virtual summit, launching a membership community, publishing a book. These are all big, you know, they feel like big risks. And so you have to, uh, to be willing to fail and also to be judged by other people who want to do that. And I'm totally okay with that. It goes back to the growth mindset, but it took a big shift in my mind and my mindset to do that. I think letting go of, you know, going back to the comparison, it's like wanting all the, you know, the, the cool shiny things. Like I have friends that make a lot more money than me and jobs and you know, or spend a lot of money on a nice car or something like they get a Tesla and I'm driving a Honda because I'm taking every bit of money I bring into my business, investing it back into my business and my brand while they're, you know, living this, you know, fun, nice, nice lifestyle, which again is, is fine, right? That's my decision, but it, it's a little hard sometimes. You're like, well, other people don't really see what all goes into this. There's a lot of sacrifice and, and putting back and, and building and investing for the future that isn't necessarily seen, but I, I'm confident it's going to pay off. And even if it doesn't, I'm having so much fun. And that's like, that's the important thing, right? Like I'm enjoying the process. And that goes back to like my goal, my definition of success is 
I want to enjoy what I'm doing. I want to have fun. And, and I know other people do too. It's not just about being an entrepreneur, right? You can, there are tons of great jobs out there where you can love it and be really fulfilled. I hope most people can find those and, um, and also realize that it's probably never going to be hundred percent love it. It's probably going to be 70%. There's going to be crap that you have to do that maybe you don't like. That's part of working. Yeah. How do you deal with the comparison? I, I remember about a year ago, I had to do a social media detox because it was just overwhelming. And I, and it was social comparison from everything to people's success to where they're traveling in the world, the delicious food they're eating, how fit everybody looks and, you know, all these different things. And that was something that I, that I did that was helpful for me. What have you done to manage the kind of the onslaught of information that puts social comparison at the forefront? Yeah, this is a really important topic. I mean, when it comes to comparison, social media is, it's been going on for generations long before social media. So it's not new, but so it's heightened because you can see what everybody's doing all the time. They can make themselves look even better than they normally would with filters. And, you know, they only post about the, the best moments. I always like to say you shouldn't compare your whole life to someone else's highlight reel because what you see on social media from that that cool trip they took was the best moment. They didn't tell you about the argument they got in with their spouse and they were screaming at each other in the hotel room about like where to go next. But then they figured out a place and they got there and they took that great picture. You're like, man, their vacation looks awesome. I wish I could go on a vacation like that, right? At the top of the mountain with the sunrise and it's epic and you know otherworldly. The hike up there was miserable and oh, it's just awful, right? Exactly. And it, that, so that's one of the things is I I always remind myself that everybody has their challenges. You never know what's going on behind the scenes. I wrote an article on LinkedIn once because I was just so I don't know what the word is, not frustrated, but I was just like amazed by this whole thing because there's a there's a couple I know, a family I know, great great family. They, I know the husband and wife are having some serious marital issues, right? Like major challenges, sleeping in separate rooms. That you know, this stuff happens, right? Nothing wrong, no judgment. You know, they take these like holiday photos together. They look so loving and they post on social media. And it looks like the best family, and I'm like, I know what's going on behind the scenes. Come on, you know, this is not. So that's the highlight reel, right? We have to remember that they're, that the social media is the highlight reel. The other thing is that, and I talk about this in the book, one thing that's really been helpful for me is to try to make the mindset shift, one from a mindset of scarcity to a mindset of abundance, right? There is, if you believe that there is an unlimited amount of success, unlimited amount of money in the world, which is true, then you are therefore not really competing with anybody because there's no awards or trophies for having the nicest car or the best job or anything like that. There, there are technical time, you know, technically there are some times where you might be competing with a colleague for a promotion or something like that. But those times are pretty rare. We are or, or over a new job, right? You're interviewing for a job. Maybe there's four other people interviewing in the final round. And so technically you are sort of competing against them. But there are thousands of other jobs out there. There's unlimited money. There's unlimited success. There are almost unlimited jobs out there that you can get. And so when you think about that from an abundant mindset, you think, okay, you look at the other people who are doing things. I'm not competing with them, right? Number one, you're not competing with them. Uh, so that's a mindset shift. Number two, a lot of the times you probably could do the things that they're doing, but you're choosing not to. So get in touch with your own priorities and choices because they're on this great trip to Europe and you're jealous. I've been here many times. But could I book a trip to Europe? I, well, not right now. I can't <laughs> in the middle of COVID. But under normal times, like I probably could. And maybe it would not be a good financial decision, but I could do it if I really wanted to, but I'm prioritizing something else. So that's, that's another one. The big one is for me, when I see people maybe doing things that I want to do, like they're getting that 
promotion, they're running that business or conference or their podcast is very successful or whatever, is to try to look at them and, and congratulate them with, you know, be happy for them and also ask, what can I learn from them? And can I be inspired by their success? So they achieved that. That means I probably can too. What can I learn from their success? And if that is not true, if they, you can't learn from their success, it's not inspiring, they're actually making you miserable, then get them out of your life. Just hide them from your feed, right? So you don't see them anymore. That's the other thing. On social media, people don't realize that you are in control of your social media feeds. The algorithm works, ladies and gentlemen, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. It responds to what you like and what you don't like and what you comment on. And if you hide people, if you ignore people, um, ignore certain subjects, it responds. Like we are, we are recording this at the end of an insane election season here in the US, right? And I can tell you that for the last six months, I have only seen a handful, and I'm on Facebook every day as well as LinkedIn and Instagram, only a handful of political posts. I've seen hardly any political arguments. I haven't gotten in any. I know they're probably out there. They don't show up in my feed because I've curated my feed. I've gotten rid of those. They're gone because I don't respond to them or I hide them. People say things I don't like, I don't agree with. Like, all right, you're gone. I'm on here to make my life better not to make my life worse. I don't need the anxiety. I don't need the stress. And I also don't tie my, even though I do post and share a lot of content, um, I've learned not to tie my, my happiness and fulfillment to the number of likes and comments I get on a post, right? Like that's, that's silly. Obviously I want it to be good and give value to people, but we've got to be really thoughtful about how we use these things and mindful because there are so, I love social media. There's so many benefits. You and I met on LinkedIn, Right originally. And I've made so many friends from social media. Uh, there's so many, so many, so many benefits. You just got to be really mindful and, and cut out the, the challenging downside stuff. Actually, Andy, there's a funny link in the book about how we met. You emailed your friend, Adam, your friend, Adam connected you to BTS and you got a job at BTS. Yeah. We met through Kyle Dyer. Oh, that's right. BTS. And so I suppose in a roundabout way, we have your friend Adam to thank for us meeting. Yeah, that's right. Because he got me the job at BTS. And then I met Kyle, I think through BTS and he introduced me to you. I forgot about that. Shout out to Kyle Dyer. Yes. So I hear you talking about agency, being a creator, being a choice. You get to choose what you consume. You get to choose what you pay attention to. And you get to choose how you react to the stories that are being shared around you. A moment ago, you were talking about judgment as well. And you're building a big, big brand. And every week it gets bigger and bigger. And with the launch of this book, so many more good things are to come from that. How do you handle judgment, good, bad, or otherwise? Mm, it's tough. It's a, it's a day-to-day, you know, it's something I've, I've built resilience on and, and gotten better. I talk about in the book, like it's important to get feedback, right? But it's still hard to take sometimes. And I really, and I spent much of my life being afraid of rejection and judgment. And, uh, and part of that's natural. I think you have to realize that this fear of judgment and reaction is actually innate in our brains from thousands of years of evolution where, you know, for 95% of human history, we lived in tribal cultures where you absolutely needed to be around other people to survive. You could not survive on your own. And therefore, if you got rejected and, and cast out of a tribe, like you were dead, you're going to eaten by a dinosaur, right? I'm just kidding. Humans never existed at the same time as dinosaurs, but you get the point, right? You wouldn't, you probably wouldn't, you wouldn't survive. Um, tiger, I think is more 
accurate. Is Saber-tooth right? tiger, right? Elephant, whatever, you know, whatever it could be, bad weather. But we come to today and people do live on their own and you're perfectly fine. And, you know, even if people at your company hate you and they fire you, like you can go get another job somewhere else. It's not, it's not as big a deal, but it's still ingrained in our brain. So part of that is like, okay, it's natural. Let me try to use some logic to process this and figure out how important is this judgment. And some of it, you know, let's go to feedback can be really useful, positive and negative. And I've gotten a lot over my time and it has been very helpful for me. And sometimes it's stuff that you just need to like, eh, you know, toss aside. So all that being said, I've made a lot of progress in shifting and I've come to peace with the fact that I'm putting this book, this piece of work, 256 pages out into the world. And there are going to be some people that love it. And there are going to be some people that don't like it. I have, you know, kind of run the concepts by many people throughout the process. I've seen what works for me. I've webbed my own, woven my own stories into it. I have high hopes. I think it has the potential to help a lot of people really to change lives. At the end of the day, though, there's going to be people that don't like it, right? So I have to make peace with that. I'm okay with that. And then, but I also know that feedback can help me. So I put the book out there to a number of people in my network, right, on, on my email list and things like that to join my the advanced reader team to read the book early. You were on that. Had 450 people, by the way, sign up to read this book early. And so I start getting people who have read the book and that are sending feedback. And every time I get one of these emails, I, I recognize, like, I feel it just a small twinge of anxiety that someone's going to say, this book sucks, right? Like, this is not, what were you thinking? But no one has said that. And I've had so many people supporting me saying, this book is great. I love this part, love this part, this part, resume. Some people are like, eh, it's okay, which is fine. It's not really for them. I've also had a lot of people who read it really quickly early on and found a bunch of typos and little things that didn't quite make sense. And it's easy to like, when people email you and say, hey, I found these six typos, or actually a couple of people sent like 20, like a lot of little nitpicky things they found. It's easy to, again, going back to tying failures to your own success or failure and be like, oh crap, you know, they're, they must think I'm, I'm an idiot, or I can't believe I left all these typos in, or that, you know, quite frankly, I hired a professional editor and he, and he did a great job, but he missed some things, right? So I could blame him. But what would be the point of that? I, I like him. He's a friend. I think he did a great job. So instead, I look at these and go, oh my gosh, they're helping me make the book better. And that's the way they felt too. It made, a couple of people said, I was honored to be part of this process. And it made them feel good to be able to find these little things and help me fix them before I publish the book so that the book can be as good as it can be. And so I take all that in stride and realize that they're coming at it with totally great nature and they want to help me. And I've taken all that feedback and I've made corrections. I'm actually still, uh, as you and I recorded this, still making some final tweaks so that it is as good as it can be when I publish the book on November 16th. Uh, as you're listening to this, the book is out. And if you go buy the book and read it, you might still find a typo or something you don't agree with. And I'm okay with that. And eventually someone's going to read the book and leave a one-star review. And I'm okay with that too. It might be a little stressful in the moment, but I think it comes with the territory when you're building a brand that you're... One thing I learned from some mentors along this way is that when you are building a brand and you're putting content out there, you need to be clear on who it's for, which means you need to be clear on who it's not for. So when I put stuff out there on social media and my little brother makes fun of me for it. That used to cause me stress. And then I realized this is not for him. This is for other people. And when people don't like what you're putting out there and it's not for them, that's really their, like they can move on. It's, it's not like that's on them if they want to be judgmental and, and criticize or whatever. So it, it's not always easy, but you come to peace with this stuff.
I think it's funny that your little brother gives you a hard time about this, Andy, because it, it humanizes it. And, yeah. and my little brother, and you're right, it's not for everybody. I mean, you and I talked about this before, that you're a go-getter. Like, you dream big. You're ambitious. You, you want to rally people to live their best life. Well, there are some people that just don't want to enroll in that type of thing. And that says nothing about you. And so I, I think you are finding your audience. And I also want you to know, I include myself in that group of people that were honored and felt very fortunate to be a part of the advanced reader team. And frankly, to be involved in supporting you in your growth and continued success in any way. I mean, there are, there is an entire team of people that want to be champions for you. And I don't think it's a stretch for me to assume that it's because you inspire them in some small way or maybe some great way. And because I really do think you're, you're inspirational in what you're doing and all the things that you're creating and that you just continue to go. And small bumps along the way, typos there may be, you're still out there pushing, pushing, pushing and creating value and community. So I know I could put you on the list of people that inspire me. Who inspires you to dream big and, and continue to pursue all these great ideas? So many people, and I probably mentioned many of them in my book, and I'll throw you in that, Massimo. I mean, the way you have recently left your job, duh, you, the way you recently left your job and hung up your shingle as an executive coach and gone out and, and tapped into your network and started building a client base right away, and you do it the right way by building real relationships and still spending time with your family and everything. It, it inspires me. I think it's awesome. I love talking to you. You know, other people that I follow that inspire me, I mentioned Hal Elrod in the book who wrote The Miracle Morning. He's been a great mentor and inspiration. Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary V is a great inspiration to me. I love everything that he puts out into the world. Of course, he runs VaynerMedia in New York and his chief heart officer, Claude Silver, has been on this podcast a few times. She's an inspiration to me as well. I have so many friends and mentors, coaches who help me and inspire me all the time. The list is long because I just, I know so many people. I don't want to start naming a bunch of names and, and leave people out, but I'm always looking for that inspiration. And, and this goes back to the question about comparison when I'm on social media and I see people doing cool things or I connect with them and they're doing seemingly cool stuff that I might like to do. I try to focus on that question. What can I learn from them? What can I learn from this? What, how can I be inspired by them and, uh, and learn as much as I can? All the things I've done in the last few months since COVID, like launch a membership community, host a virtual summit with 32 speakers and 2000 attendees, publish a book. None of those things I just like came up with on my own or figured out how to do on my own. In all of those cases, I hired or had, excuse me, mentors and coaches who helped me along the way, who gave me the information that I needed. And then I, I just took it and ran with it and just took action, which goes back to one other thing I have in the book near the end that the most successful people I know have a bias for action. It means like you learn it, you set the goal, and then you actually go do something um, instead of just sitting around spinning your wheels. So I just learn as much as I can from other people and then just keep moving forward, keep taking action. Yeah. And indeed you have. Are you already working on the next book idea? You already got the next big project in mind? Man, I do have other ideas. I do have ideas for other books. And this is the, you know, the problem when you get into doing stuff like this is so many ideas, um, but I promised myself I would get this book done and out there first. Uh, I think there are other versions of it. I have an idea for a book on leadership I want to write um, based on everything I've learned along the way. Uh, we won't get into that now because we're about out of time. But uh, yeah, there definitely are other ideas. Um, and I only want to create stuff that I think is going to be helpful for people. Awesome. Is there anything else you want your readers or future readers, the people that are listening to this to know about the book before it launches on November 16th? 
No, I don't think so. I think we covered so much ground, Mossam. I really do appreciate the the questions. Um, the book is called Own Your Career, Own Your Life. It's available on Amazon. There is, you can get the Kindle, the paperback. I'm working on audiobook. There's a companion journal I've created as well because I I'm, I'm really want people to take notes in every chapter, write down thoughts, reflections, ideas, goals, and take action on those. So if you don't have a notebook of your own, I'm creating a companion journal that you can buy. Should pop up in the same space, own your career, own your life companion journal. Check that out. You know, Make sure you connect with me on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, to get updates on everything that's going on. Um, and uh, if you're in the corporate space and you want to bring this to your, your employees, I'm creating a webinar and a corporate learning program from this and, and hoping to build a business out of this because I think there's so much potential to impact employees and organizations and make a big difference, move the needle on things like attrition, productivity, engagement, stuff like that. And I want to get it more out into the world. So I'm excited about it. And Masma, I really appreciate you you coming, you reading the book, you supporting me, being on the early reader team and, uh, and doing this interview. It, it has been awesome. Oh, it's been great. Congratulations. And for everybody who's listening, I get pick up the book. You can kind of jump in at any point and there's value. So great job, Andy. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Hope you get the book. If you do, read it. Send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Hope you have an awesome day. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.